0: Last week, we started our series on the letter Paul wrote to a church he had never visited, the letter to the Colossians. In this letter, Paul focuses intentionally on the greatness of Jesus Christ. And as we make our way to the events of Good Friday and Easter, I thought it would be a good idea to get a better picture from Scripture as to exactly who Jesus was and is and how all of our hope is rooted in him. We spent last week in the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1 and saw how Christ is the anchor of our hope. This week we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 to 14. In this text we see God's desire for his church. We see how God wants the church to function and we see how he encourages us to pray with Paul for the church. I pray that the sermon this morning will be an encouragement to you as we explore just a little deeper the hope that we have in prayer. Let us read the word of the Lord together this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption The forgiveness of sins. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. And God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last summer, in the middle of the night, I was woken up, feeling a strong urge to pray for my dad, and the crew on his boat. I don't know why, I, I didn't know what, but I just felt this compulsion that I was supposed to pray for them. A little while later, while they were still up fishing in Alaska, my family flew out to Washington to visit, and, and one day during our time there, I asked my mom how the boat was doing. I told her that, The urge to pray for them had had woken me in, in the middle of the night a few days before. She turned and looked at me and said that she had also woken in the middle of the night with the need to pray for them. We shared a moment of wonder at the situation and curiosity over why we both would have been woken up to pray. Our text this morning is Paul's prayer for the Colossian church. I'm sure he prayed a wide variety of prayers for this particular body of believers, but, but this is the one that he wanted them to know about, the one that he wanted them to see, the one that he wanted them to have a tangible copy of. Paul wants the Colossians to know that they are being prayed for. He wants them to feel that encouragement, to know that someone outside, someone else, is bringing them before the throne of God because they love them and care for them and want the best for them. And in Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, we see God's desire for his church, his body, his bride in writing. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, writes Paul. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power and according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, that they would understand God's will for them, and that they would have wisdom and depth of understanding that comes only from the Holy Spirit. Paul prays that the Christians in Colossae would not be swayed by the lies of the Gnostics. He prays that they would rest in the wisdom that God has given them through His Holy Spirit, that they would not be turned by the liars in their midst. He prays that the church would live lives worthy of the Lord, that they would please Him in every way, that nothing in their life, their conduct, would be a betrayal of Jesus Christ, And that they would never bring shame on their church or their faith through their actions. But that instead, everyone would be able to clearly see that they are Christians by the fruit of their works. Paul prays that as they grow in their walk with the Lord, that the love of God would be evident through their life and their love. And he prays that they would be strengthened for the journey by the power of God. And in this strength, that they would have great abundance, the great endurance for the hardships of the Christian walk and that they would have great patience in the struggles to come. Wow. What a prayer. What a vision. What a hope for the church. And as we see God's will for the church reflected in Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, it begs the question, how are we doing with that? Are we the church that God desires? We know that the church is made up of God's people, and so the further question is, are we the followers, the children, the Christians that God desires? Have we rested in the will of God, rested in God's desire for our lives and His direction for His church, and not been corrupted by the agendas of the world around us? Or... Have we succumbed to the social, political, and relational pressures put forth by the influence of others? Have we trusted fully in the wisdom of God, or have we at times tried to fit God's wisdom into a box that we can better understand and is more palatable to our tastes? Does the fruit of our actions always point to Christ? Is our endurance running out? Have we been patient in our struggles? The answer, of course, is no. We understand that. We are each familiar with our failures. We have intimate knowledge of our own doubts. We know that we are not all that God has called us to be. And we are not resting in all that he has given us. And so that's why he sent Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, sent to earth, born as a man, but though fully man, did not sin. Jesus, who lived the perfect life that each of us could not. And in spite of his perfection, it was Jesus who took the sin of the world upon his shoulders. It was Jesus who became sin for us on the cross. And there on the cross, abandoned in our place by God, his Father, Jesus, died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. And in so doing, he conquered all that sin and death and all that the devil could throw at him. And he proved his power and his might. And when we believe in Jesus, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, then we are clothed in his righteousness. The rags of our sin and shame are stripped from us and we are given the comfiest robes that one could ever hope to wear. And these robes are white, pure, holy, righteous. And so not through any work of our own, but through the work of Jesus Christ, we are able to enter into relationship with God, declared righteous by the blood of his Son. And then Jesus, his purpose on earth accomplished, ascended into heaven. And as we confess in our creed, and as we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, where he is interceding for us. And let's just rest in that for a minute, shall we? The guy that came down to earth, the perfect one that we ridiculed and attacked and tried to trap and then did trap and then framed and then railroaded into a mock trial that led to a gruesomely horrible death, a death that he died while carrying the blame for everything that any one of us has ever done wrong and will ever do wrong. Yeah, that guy is now seated at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for us. If it were anyone else, man, I'd be freaking out. All the stuff that we've put him through, (laughs) I wouldn't want that guy to be the one that was talking to God on my behalf. But Jesus isn't just anyone. Though we put him through all those things, he only went through them because he was willing to. His love for us is that great. His love for you and for me, his love for us, is that great. That once he made it possible for us to be in relationship with God, once he had covered us with his righteousness, he went to heaven, and there he is our advocate, interceding for us, speaking to God on our behalf. And God listens. He listens to his son, and God listens to us as well. In James chapter 5, we read that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Often when I had thought of that verse, the conclusion that comes readily is that I have to be the best person that I can possibly be so that my prayers will be heard and that God will listen to them and that they will be powerful and they will accomplish what I want them to accomplish. But that passage does not say that the prayer of a person who rests in their own merit is powerful and effective. It says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And as we have just explored, we are only considered righteous if we have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If we are believers resting in the faith that he has given us. It's amazing to me that a verse that is intended to encourage us can, in fact, feel more like a barrier. It is crazy to me how talented we are at taking what is meant as grace and turning it into law because we've tried to attach our works to it. I need to be righteous, we think, instead of resting in the righteousness that has been given to us. So what we are reading in James is that the, par- the prayer of a Christian is powerful and effective. God listens to your prayers. He hears you when you call. The night that my father and brother arrived back in Washington from their summer in Alaska, I waited until we were in the car on the hour drive home from the airport before I asked them if anything crazy had happened during one of their night fishing periods. They exchanged somber looks and then went on to tell a tale of how they had been navigating near a sandbar where the currents and waves were a little different than they were used to and had almost flipped the boat. It was the closest that has ever come to capsizing. They were riding a wave, and a different wave hit them from the back, and it pushed the boat down their current wave at a very dangerous angle. But just before she had gone over fully, the boat stopped its slide, recovered, and settled into riding the waves once more. They didn't remember the exact date that this happened They told us that they had actually blocked it out and had basically ignored it happening because it had freaked them out so badly. And I can't say for sure that it was the night that mom and I woke up in different states on opposite sides of the country knowing that we needed to pray for the safety of the boat. But I do know that God answered those prayers. God hears us when we pray. And he answers. Though we may not always like the answer. Karen and I wanted so badly for God to save and heal our daughter with trisomy 18. We prayed for healing. Many of you walked with us through that journey, and we know that you prayed for healing. And church, friends, God answered that prayer. He healed her. He healed her in heaven when he brought her home. We may not always like the answers that we get, when we pray but don't ever for a minute believe the lie that god is not listening to you for the one that came and died and rose again is speaking to him on our behalf and because of the righteousness of christ god listens and responds to us as well and what's more is that god moves through prayer I understand that there is something hard to grasp about God being all-knowing and and all-loving and all-powerful and sovereign and still responding to prayer. I understand that there are times when it can seem like we're, we're mansplaining to God our needs and our wants. He knows them already. Why do I have to bring it before him? And I also understand that there are times that we feel like since God is all of those things we just confessed him to be, that he should know that what needs to be done a whole lot better than we do. So why in the world does he ask us to pray when he could just act of his own volition? God God asking us to pray, and what's more, God responding to our prayers is one of the mysteries of his interactions with us. And while we may not understand the mystery, let us not let our confusion override the instruction God has called us to pray. He desires us to bring our needs and our cares before him, and he desires us to bring the needs and the cares of our neighbors before him. He wants to hear from the people that he loves, not just our wants and cares, but our victories, our praises, our dreams, our daily grind, our despair, our hurt, our pain, our joy, our hope. And God moves in response to prayer. The Bible is full of stories of people crying out to God and God responding. Sometimes his response was to relent in bringing calamity and judgment. Sometimes his response was to give a gift. Sometimes his response was not to spare a person, but to give strength and comfort during a trial. Whatever the response, be it yes or no, it is clear that God responds to prayer. So let us pray. Let us pray for our neighbor. Let us pray for God's work to be done in our world, in our country, in our communities, in the hearts of our neighbors and in our hearts. Let us bring before the Lord the sick and the hurting. Let us bring before the Lord our joy and our praise. In our text this morning, God has shown us clearly his heart for his body, for his church. Let us pray these things over each other. Let us rest in all that God has done. And as we rest in all that God has done, let us rest in the truth that God hears our prayers and that He answers them. Let us see what God has called us to be as a church. He has called what He has called us to be is faithful, to be wise, to be patient, to endure, to rest not in our own strength but in His. He has called us to bear fruit. Let us strive to do these things. I know that and know know that you are being prayed for that you might do these things. And when we struggle to be the bride of Christ that we are intended to be, when we struggle to be the church as God wants us to be, let us rest in the forgiveness that we have been given. Let us rest in the righteousness of Christ that we do not deserve, but have been clothed with. And let us find peace and comfort in the knowledge that though we have hurt him, betrayed him, and doubted him, Though our faith fails at times, Jesus is still madly in love with us and is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Let us pray. And as we pray, may we find rest. May we find hope in Jesus. What a wonderful, fantastic, and loving God we serve. Amen.